Um, I'm going to talk today about changing perspectives. And the Bible verses we're going to get into are the first three Beatitudes. Um, but I've been taking it on myself the last few weeks to kind of think up things that um, could be worse. So changing perspectives. You were talking about going on a walk, but then it could be worse because I, it, was, it wasn't just for me, it was for my sister. My sister wanted to do a silly challenge to raise money for Hope for Justice. So I was like, I'll do it too, you'll be fine. And obviously, if any of you were camping, you know the weather was really bad. So we went up on Friday night, and me and Colleen ended up sleeping in the car because we put the tent up, got in the tent, and the wind was so bad, the tent was just knocking around everywhere, and we're like, I don't like this at all. So we started the, the hiking trip by getting out of the tent and going to sleep in the car. Didn't really sleep very well. And the first thing I had to do was kind of realize that I don't think we can actually get up at 5 a.m. in the dark in that weather and actually get up to the top of Snowdon and back without, you know, possibly dying. You know, so. so we were like, okay, we've got to change my, got to change the plan. And so we got up a bit later, a little bit more rested, and then started doing it. And, you know, we went to do Snowdon, and then we drove down to Cadaridris, and we did that. And that was pretty rough. It's a good mountain if you've ever been. It's really nice. And then we drove all the way down to Penafan and started doing that last night. What was it, about nine? Nine-ish? Yeah. Which is good fun, actually. If you've ever tried to do Penafan in the dark, in the wind and the rain at nine, it's a good laugh. But it could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. There's a guy that did 50 Ironman races in 50 days. If any of you know what an Ironman is, you did 50, then back-to-back. Back. could be worse. Um, and I was initially not going to do this talk. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to be too tired. I'm going to have a clue what's going on. And Mike was like, could you do it? Like, could you? And I was like, fine, I'll put something together. I'll try it. I'll put something together. And I woke up. I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I had a moment where I go, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I have no idea what's about to happen. But it could be worse. It could be worse. I do actually have a plan of what I'm going to talk about, so don't worry. We are going to get into some theology. And I want to kind of open this up by telling you about how when I was at university and up until maybe five or six years ago, I kind of lived my life simultaneously under two kind of incorrect assumptions. So when I was at university, I was very lazy and I had a really bad time with the girl I was dating. And I kind of went away from that feeling a bit depressed and bitter and angry. And the three months after I was at university, I didn't have a job. And I was very angry about that. And I blamed the fact that I did a stupid degree, stupid history degree. Who would do it? It doesn't get you anywhere. Stupid. It's all the degree's fault. And then I you know, moved on. I went to Liabia, met Colleen, which was really great. But then still, I was kind of living under this assumption that something better should be happening in my life. And I worked in Coffee One, if any of you have been to Coffee One before. I worked there for a year. And for a good six months of that year, I hated it. And I was like, this is rubbish. Life should be better. I'm meant to be doing something better than this. And I really hated it. And I had a terrible time. But the problem wasn't the fact that the job was bad. The problem was me. 100% me. The problem at university was me. The problem that I couldn't get a job after university wasn't that I didn't have a good degree. It's because I couldn't be bothered. And I was living under this assumption, on one hand, that God was supposed to, you know, do something good in my life, and that that would just appear. And on the other hand, that I was a victim, that all these things in my life were bad, and it was someone else's fault. But actually, 
both of those things simultaneously are bad. If you think that your life is supposed to be Hollywood, mega, crazy, amazing, blah, 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 then you might have some waking up to do. But at the same time, if you think to yourself that, oh, everything's bad and it's not my fault, it's everyone else's fault, that's also going to be a problem. And I lived under kind of these two ideas without really knowing it for a long time. I wanted life to be better, but I didn't want to actually work towards making my life better. And about six months into working in Coffee One, my manager basically came up to me and like, fragged me out. And he told me how useless I was being. It was a nice conversation. And I was mad for like two days. And then I went back and I started going, maybe I, he might have a point. Maybe I was the problem because I was living my life both expecting life to be better because <laughs> life is supposed to be great, right? I'm supposed to have everything I ever wanted. There must be more to it than this. And at the same time, blaming everything else for my feelings but myself. And as soon as I realized that was what I was doing, things started getting better because I went in with a different perspective on how life actually is going to go. So this is not a talk today to make any of you feel bad or to tell any of you that you're doing something wrong or anything like that. I just want to kind of get our head around um, changing our perspective on what is good, what is bad, or just life in general. And the Bible passages I want us to look at today is Matthew 5, particularly verses 3 to 5. It's a really short passage. Oh, nice. You're nice. If you've got Bibles, guys, open it up. Because what Jesus is about to say to his followers in this huge sermon is going to totally change their perspective on who they are and how they should view life. And that's kind of what I want us to think about. Now, Matthew 5, 3 to 5, there we go. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That? Cool. That's all I want us to focus on today. But first things first, I want us to think about what does it mean to be blessed? What does that word mean? So, I asked a few people. The first thing that I did is I looked up the dictionary definition of blessed. And it comes up with a lot of wing things. And one of them is having divine favor or protection. Yes. And that's one of the definitions of blessed. Um, another one might be if you've been on Twitter at all in the last few years, you might have heard hashtag blessed thrown out. Anyone heard that? No? No? Anyone seen it? Hashtag blessed. And what that usually means is, look at how great my life is. Look at all the stuff I have. Look at how gorgeous I am. Look at my hot partner. Hashtag blessed. I've got loads of money. Hashtag blessed. I'm famous. Woo! And if that is what this word, blessed, means to you, then you might have a bit of a problem with what's coming up. Because when you read the Beatitudes and when you read any scripture in which God says to you, I will bless you or you will be blessed, you might take that to mean, oh, in Christ, when we act like good Christians, God will give us all the things. Amazing. Or perhaps you might read the text and say, if I make myself poor enough, God will bless me with favor and protection and all the things. Or if I make myself sad enough or wretched enough or bad enough, I'll have all the things. But the problem with this word blessed that Jesus is using is that's not actually what he's talking about at all. In this text, blessed are the, there are two words which directly translate to what we have now as the word blessing. Um, the word in Greek is makarios. 
And this word for bless is nothing to do with getting cool things off of people or praying God into a situation and invoking the Spirit and anything like that. Makarios, blessed, it describes an existing state of happiness or joy or good fortune. It is something that's talking about a state of being that you're already in. It is not asking for anything. It is not anything like that again. Shall I do that again? Jesus is telling his crowd of followers, it's the first thing he does in his sermon, as I'm saying to you now, you already have the joy of the kingdom of heaven when you are such and such. It is something that already exists, and it is not dictated by your circumstances. Right? It is that word, makarios, that is used in the Beatitudes, and it should now dramatically change the way we read Matthew 5, and understand what he's saying, and then change how we might approach later verses and later teaching. Um, so Jesus is pretty extreme, in a good way. Makarios, you are alive and sharing the kingdom. You are blessed right now. Now, I get it. Some of you might be going, I don't feel blessed. I don't feel like that at all. Maybe, that's fine. Now, can we think about the Hebrew people that Jesus is talking to? These are people 2,000 years ago. They probably said something like, Teacher, surely this is nonsense. I cannot be blessed, like you say, because I am, have no job. I'm in poverty. Or perhaps they say, teacher, I can't be blessed, as you say, because my partner left me. Or maybe they would say, rabbi, you're talking rubbish. I am sick. I've got a disease, which means I'm a social outcast. I can't be blessed. Or possibly they would say, master, I don't understand what you're saying. We live under the rule of non-believing heathens that are oppressing us. We can't be blessed. Or maybe we might say, Lord, I'm not sure I can overcome our culture that we live in that tells me that being blessed is a monetary health relational reward from God for good behavior. How can I be blessed if I don't have the things that I think I should have? Or perhaps if we're really being extreme, Lord my God, I'm living in a war-torn, crime-ridden land are you seriously saying that I too, simply from knowing you in the kingdom, am blessed? And Jesus is extreme. Take all the problems we have today in our culture and then maybe think about how his followers would have felt. Because his followers would have been poor in the medieval sense of the word, which means they are literally living hand to mouth. If they don't work, their children starve and die. They starve and die. And you can't get a good job because you're not a Roman. Oh, you're not buttering up the Romans with money. If you're a Hebrew listening to Jesus, you are not getting a good job. You may get sick and die because there is no NHS 2,000 years ago. And, you know, healthcare, not too great. And what's worse, the teachers of your law, who you live under, should be encouraging you and showing you the way, but what they've actually done is they've crafted a long list of things that you have to do every day in order to not live under some kind of curse from God. The Jewish leaders were so intent on following legalistic processes that you can't do anything without having to go to the temple and sacrifice something, probably for a lot of money, to make yourself feel less guilty. And if you're a woman, you definitely don't matter 2,000 years ago. If you're a child, you definitely don't matter 2,000 years ago. And because you're not a Roman citizen listening to Jesus talk, you could probably be killed, enslaved at any point, at any time, for any reason. So, and then Jesus comes up to the plate, looks these people in the eye and says, Blessed are you 
who are poor in spirit. Now, Jesus in this point, he's not actually saying to you or to his people that you should make yourself poor, as in poverty poor, or you should seek poverty. He's actually saying poor in the way that translates as humble in spirit. He's saying you who are poor in spirit, humble before God, you are blessed. The believer who lives their life like they don't have all the answers and they don't have to control anything because they don't need to seek esteem from other people or have to be like another church or have to make all the money like their friends because they understand that under God, maybe they don't have everything. Maybe they don't know all the answers. That person is already living under the kingdom of God and is blessed. Being blessed is living under the joy that transcends your situation due to a relationship with the Father. So maybe a change of perspective. Those humble before God who know they are but dust are blessed and have the kingdom of God already. But those who seek to exalt themselves, who work themselves to the bone to showcase their zealotry may only be full of the kingdom of man. If you are a believer in the kingdom of man, then you have to live by its rules and standards. Which means you'll be trying to get more and more and more to showcase yourself more and more and more. And if you feel tempted that that is what Christianity is about, that you should you know, be blessed with all the more money, all the more stuff, all the more things, you won't ever really be able to live under God's true blessing because God's true blessing should, trans- should not be part of your situation. It should be apart from that. Remember, to be poor in spirit, humble before God, means that you already possess the kingdom. You don't need to go after it. You don't need to be seeking it. And then Jesus says to his people, how about this? Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. And for some of you guys, this might be the hardest of all to chew upon. If, uh, like you, uh, we live in the UK, we're not particularly homeless or anything like that. We live in a very safe country. Uh, we have houses. We've got the NHS, which is actually better if you've gone anywhere else and seen what their healthcare is like. We've got security measures. And if we even earn a tiny bit of money, we actually have the freedom to gather things to ourselves that would look like luxuries to other people. And the Hebrews that Jesus is talking to would be like, wow, you guys are like emperors. We live in a culture that is so caught up trying to evolve our lives into a utopia where there is no suffering or sadness or failure or illness that to suggest that today... Jesus' words are still critical and relevant. might seem a little crazy. Those of you who are mourning are blessed. Now, Jesus isn't telling his people, and he's not telling us, that we should seek to suffer, that we should go out and try to suffer, because that's kind of crazy. But he is saying that it's stupid to deny that suffering exists. It's really stupid to deny that it exists and that we won't ever suffer. It's foolish to think that we won't ever suffer. We will that the book that I read that was all about the Beatitudes was by a guy who says that suffering is an extraordinary teacher and that until we have suffered, we won't ever really know the depths that this human spirit can endure and survive. The writer then goes on to note that he's been driven from his home on three separate occasions due to war and he learned that the most important thing in life are the relationships in life that bond us together and possessions are ultimately worthless. Those who mourn will be comforted, and they will learn 
about God and will know that the truly important thing is that God will send people to you to comfort you. You see God in other people, God will comfort you. It is okay to mourn. In fact, if you're mourning, you will know the blessing of the kingdom because people will come around you and that's what's really important. So when Jesus later says to his followers that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, but also love your neighbor as yourself, that should be no surprise. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that when you mourn, people will come alongside you. And when you see people mourn, you will go alongside them, comforting each other. And you will see God's image in them and burn with compassion as they see God's image in you. Mourning will happen, and then we will be comforted. There is a a lie, it's kind of our cultural one, but it's been around a long time, that if you're in God's good books, you'll have everything you could possibly want. Happiness, fame, long life, etc. This is a very neatly tied in part of the American dream. The American dream is all about having the best stuff and the best opportunities. And you might notice that in our current culture, some Christian movements kind of look like the American dream wrapped up in a flag with a cross printed on it. But Christianity isn't about that. It's much more than that. Um, I think we can go further. I want us to challenge our perspectives a little bit more. Suffering can also come as a teacher in tiny ways. You can mourn in massive ways, but you can also be mourning in tiny ways. Some of you might not have had anything really bad happen to you, but you might have had little things that make you Failure can feel like suffering. I failed two weeks ago to get a promotion. And so did one of my colleagues. And he took it really badly. And this is not me upping myself up. He took it really badly. And I think he feels like a victim. I, there wasn't a great moment for me, but I kind of took it and went, okay, I've got something to learn from this. I failed. I could mourn. I, eh. And a small kind of suffering can bring small types of mourning and lessons to learn. Will you guys learn from your failures for these small sufferings? If you mourn in small ways, will you become then poor and humble before God and change your perspective? Or will you use it as an excuse to blame the world and to blame other things around you? Now, the Hebrews who Jesus is talking to in Matthew are suffering tremendously under the Romans. They were poor. And they then took it upon themselves to teach that the only way to get out of this mess was to work the law to perfection until God turns up and kind of steamrolls them into a new kingdom. God wasn't making their lives amazing because they're evil, terrible, crippling sinners. Or they're friends with sinners, how dare they? And it would be easy for them to wrap themselves in victimhood, just as it was easy for me to wrap myself in victimhood and blame other people. It was really difficult to become humble and then to mourn, and then learn from that, and then step out in humility to a better future where I relied on God, and trusting that I already had the blessing, I was already blessed in his kingdom, even if my life wasn't perfect right now. I don't know how we're all feeling at the moment regarding Faith Church's situation. Some of us might be like, whatever. Some of us might genuinely be thinking, what the hell's going on? Change perspective. Something that happened in a small group two weeks ago is we ended a note and went, well, God's still God. Yes, God's still God. It might hurt, but that doesn't mean God isn't God. We might really be angry and not know what to do and feel totally lost. Okay, you're still blessed. 
because you know that the root is that God is still God and Christ still came and died and rose again for you. You might, be, you might have made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. And I made myself into an unhealthy situation where I was depressed and I mourned. doesn't mean that God wasn't wanting to bless me. He'd already blessed me. didn't mean I couldn't get up and make better decisions. But I needed a change in perspective. And I don't know if we need a change in perspective. You might already have it. But remember, if we're feeling a bit rocky at the moment, that's okay. You can mourn. God will comfort you. You're still blessed. And then Jesus says to his people, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now this one's a problem. I'm not going to ask any of you what you think meek means, but hold on to that word, meekness. Because we get this word wrong all the time. Jesus has just told his listeners that they are blessed, this makarios, you're blessed if you're poor and humble before God, not proud and arrogant, and if you're mourning, not winning at life and doing everything. And rather than being a proud conqueror in the kingdom of God, he now goes on to say that it is the meek who have the lion's share of God's kingdom. And in the centuries after he says this, in the millennia that leads up to now, we have gotten a lot wrong with the word meek. We may have a few things on what it means, and we're probably going to be wrong. I asked a few people. What do they think meek means? First answer. And we got a few of them. We had quiet and gentle, easily imposed upon, submissive. Another one I got was weak and submissive. Colleen said that meekness was like the spaniel we're looking after. Timid, wimpy, poor little thing. Servile was another one. We get the word meek wrong a lot. So wrong. And it's because there's multiple different words in the Greek and the Hebrew that we're trying to translate down, and we get it wrong. Jesus probably used the word anai, which actually means kind of like poor and humble before God again. It doesn't mean weak, it just means humble. But in Greek, which is where the New Testament comes from, the word is prias. It sounds like you're saying praise but with a little accent. And it's nothing to do with a person in the presence of God, but it has much more to do with relationships between people. Anyone heard of the guy Aristotle? Anyone heard of him? Yeah, clever dude. He describes meekness all the way 2,000 years ago or more as the perfect virtue of acting halfway between recklessness and cowardice. Kind of changes the idea, isn't it? Meekness isn't being a wimpy little thing to get trodden on. Meekness is the aspect of living in perfect balance between recklessness and cowardice, which means you will be the right kind of angry or the right kind of happy or the right kind of commanding in the right situation at the right time to the right people for the right reasons for the right amount of time. And if you put that together, Jesus is saying to you, you are blessed, you have already got the joys of the kingdom when you are humbly following God's will and ethically living in a way that will assist in sorting out problems and disagreements in the right way, in the right manner, for the right duration of time. Jesus doesn't want you to be pathetic. Jesus doesn't want you to be trodden on by the world. He also doesn't want you to take it upon yourself to kill the world and smash your enemies or anything like that. Not every problem needs a hammer, but some do. Not every confrontation needs violent outbursts, but perhaps some need controlled anger. Not every problem requires us to submit and be kind of weak and pathetic, but maybe some do. 
the kingdom of God in you, blessed believer, is when you are humble before your God, when you allow yourself to open up to mourning, open up to suffering, give and receive the comfort that comes with it. And then when you are a meek in that kind of way, when you know how to deal with life's battles in the right way, not with recklessness, not with cowardice, somewhere in the middle. If any of you understand the New Testament, you'll know that there were Hebrew zealots at the time who were kind of like their age as terrorists. And they'd gone way off the deep end to try and enact God's kingdom by killing everyone. They'd completely given up any kind of wisdom. And then the Romans, obviously, in response, would have to trample them down. The Romans crushed them again and again and again. However, on the other side of the coin, to be a Hebrew under the Romans, if you were just submissive and abject, you're in slavery. And Jesus is going to, in the coming chapters, have no time for that kind of attitude. He would suggest that rather than simply doing what's expected of you, you should then go further and impress upon them that even if I am kind of a slave to you, I'm going to live way more than you expect me to and take control of that situation and impress you. Jesus is trying to empower his people to understand that if they feel like life sucks, if they think that, well, we're supposed to be the chosen people, we're supposed to have all these things, but we're not, that that's okay. He's trying to tell his people that if you're mourning, it doesn't mean that God hates you. It means that you're mourning and God wants to come alongside you and lift you up and say, it's okay, I'll mourn with you. And he's trying to tell you that you don't need to be pathetic or timid, but you also don't need to be violently angry. I'm going to skip that. I think... I don't know where we all are this morning at all. I know some of us might have thought that because we are Christians and we're excited that things would go incredibly and there'd be amazing things happening. And I get the impression that some of us are maybe feeling a little adrift. I want us to wrap this up, and I know it's a short one. I've not had the most amount of time to pile this together, and that's on me. But I want you to know that the kingdom of God is in you. That actually, it is when you are humble enough to say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, that the kingdom of God is there. It's already there. And I want to encourage you that if you're feeling upset and bereft, that that's okay too. That the kingdom of God is there. Christianity is not about making ourselves so big and popular and famous and so rich that people come to us. People will come to any business that does that. Nor is Christianity about having all the answers and being on stage, doing the best, coolest things, and making people feel excited and happy. Because any business can do that. And they do very well. If we really want to go out and make an impact on the people around us who don't know who Jesus is, then we need to change our perspective so that when life is bad for us, we can still smile and go out and try and make life better for other people. And that doesn't make any sense because people tell you if life is bad, then it's bad. You shouldn't be happy because life is bad. If you're poor, you shouldn't be happy because life is bad. But Jesus says to you, look, 
You might be in a terrible situation, but there is something that is not defined by this situation that you should take joy in, and that is that God loves you. God always loved you. Look at you. You are made in his image. And if you have that perspective, when you fail to get the promotion at work, or when someone breaks up with you, or when you're sick, or if you hurt yourself, or if you don't manage to do the thing you are desperately doing, you can say, you know what? God still loves me. And I can still tell you with a smile on my face that God loves you. And in my situation, I can work hard to make life better for people outside myself. And then the people might go, but, but your life doesn't look like the Western capitalist view that it should. Why are you so full of joy? And then you can say, well, actually it's because perspective. My God died brutally for me. I didn't have to die brutally for me. Jesus did it. So actually, maybe, if life didn't quite go the way I wanted it to, I can still say to you, hey, God loves you and I love you too. How can I make you smile? Even if I'm feeling terrible. Now, if that's too much, if you're like, I can't do that, then everyone else who's here who understands that maybe someone we know is having a rough time of it, we can then, hey, hey, perspective, how can I bless your life? How can I tell you that God loves you and I'm going to show it to you by what I'm about to do? The early church denied all aspirations to wealth and fame. The early church came together, sold all their stuff to bless one another, to give one another the things that were truly important. Fellowship, companionship, encouragement. The early church would have been full of people who were dying and sick, who had nobody at all. Perspective, if you live in the UK at this time, we've got lighting, we've got buildings, we've got donuts. We should be able to go, hey, Christianity is actually about God coming among men and telling us, you are all important to me. And then when we realize that and know it, we can go, hey, all of you are important to me too. How can I love you? And then that hopefully will be reflected back. And then the wider world will go, they've got something. Because everything else doesn't sound like that. Everything else in the world is, pay for this and you'll get this. Or if you do this, then you'll get this. Whereas Christianity is, you're alive, you're a human being. God loves you. I see the image of God in you. How can I love you? And if we do that, and it might suck, this building could collapse. We could still take worship outside. It could rain. We could still worship together. There's a great quote by Celtic Christianity. Where is it? There it is. I can find it. My thing's not working. That's annoying. Celtic Christianity quote is about worship. And it effectively says, when worship becomes a stage and the sanctuary becomes a theater and the audience become, well, and the congregation becomes an audience, then it's theater. We're only working towards the applause of other men. But when worship is only for the glory of God, then the theater becomes a sanctuary again, filled with his praise. And the people who don't believe will look in and will go, what is that? 
What is that that you're doing? You're doing something that the world cannot show me. What is that? And we say, hey, because actually, it doesn't matter what we are in life. We're blessed. Our perspective is so focused on God that we can be joyful. And joyful doesn't mean happy. It means willing to smile and praise God even if life is terrible. So if you're mourning, you're blessed. If you're actually... Hey, and if you are physically poor, you're still blessed. If you're lost, you're blessed. If you don't know what you're doing here, you're blessed. If you thought for your whole life that God was going to open up a door to amazing things and that's not happened, maybe you need to align, like alter what you thought about that, but you're still blessed. If you fail to get something that you really wanted, you're blessed. If you're lonely, you're blessed, especially if you're here. We want to come alongside you. I want us to wrap up there. Sorry if it's been a bit waffly and not as detailed. That is totally my responsibility, and I've been all over the place the last few weeks. Mike is going to come and sing, and we... Yeah, yeah, we can all do it. In small group two weeks ago, a translation came up with these words, and the church worshipped in one soul. Some of you might may go, oh, it's a shame that there's not blah, 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 blah. My con stage isn't about my con stage. Me talking to you isn't about me talking to you. We are only here to come together as family and sing with one soul. So, if, I, if I've said something that you disagree with, please talk to me afterwards. If you hated everything I said, cool, tell me afterwards. But if you've been challenged on anything, think about it. And let us just finish up by singing if we can, in one soul, about God, not about me, not about you, about God.